we're talking about youth today, and as we do, why don't you bow with me and let's pray for today's message as well as for Scott and his family. God, it really is exciting to think that uh, the, one of the people that many, or one of the guys that people have seen grown up here in this church who loves you and knows you and walks with you uh, is going to have the national spotlight shined on him, and not for anything negative, but obviously for something very positive, and that's the gifts and the the passions and the skills you've given him as a singer and entertainer. And so, Father, we pray that as Scott does that this Tuesday night, that, that Lord, indeed, you would uh, help him to shine with the blessings that you've given him, with the gifts. Uh, Lord, may you kind of hold back some of the nerves that I'm sure he's going to be experiencing. And, uh, Father, we would pray for favor from you, that whatever your will is for this and for him, that, uh, Lord, that will come to fruition and that you would use him, Father, as you have so much already, uh, as a witness for your son Christ. Uh, God, may we show the support uh, for him and the love that uh, we have all along. May that be turned up even now more so in this time. God, I pray as we turn to your word now and talk about uh, youth that you give us wisdom. If I don't miss my guess, there are some, if not many of us here this morning that need to hear a word about how to deal with the teenagers in our lives and uh, how we can best love them. So speak to our hearts and our minds, we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So uh, we're going to be talking about teenagers today, all right? Teenagers. And, and I smiled this week as I thought about that because I thought, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old and about 20 years ago whenever I talk about teenagers, some people would say to me, yeah, 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 you wait, Rasmussen. You wait till you have teenagers of your own and then we'll see what you have to say. And I'm smiling today because I got three of them at home, all right? 18, 16, and 15 years old. And though that does not make me an expert by any stretch of the imagination on teenagers, I think I have been baptized into teenagerdom in my home right now. So let's talk about teenagers. And you might remember that we're using a 19th century set of paintings, like some really nice paintings that hang in the National Gallery in Washington, D.C., to guide us in our understanding of the main stages of life. These are paintings by a Christian painter named Thomas Cole, who lived in upstate New York in the mid-1800s. And what he has done in these paintings is he's tried to communicate some of the spiritual and relational realities that you and I go through in this world through painting these beautiful landscape scenes. These are allegories of the Christian life. It's a four-part series that's become very popular in art circles known as The Voyage of Life. And today, we're focusing on youth, or for us, teenagers. And folks, when you match up what you're going to see in this painting today with the truths of God's Word, I'm telling you, you walk away with some pretty powerful and practical understandings of what this teenage season of life is all about. Uh, four things I want to share with you in our time remaining here this morning. Four things that Cole's painting is going to show us about this youthful stage of life that the Christian worldview, the Bible, affirms and totally validates. So without any more introduction, look up here on the screen. Here's the first thing, and that is that youth is designed to be filled with boundless imagination and limitless dreams. And I might add that God is thrilled about this. Let me repeat that. Youth is designed to be filled with boundless imagination and limitless dreams. It's true. Uh, look with me at Cole's second painting here. I put it in your bulletin there for you today. And, you know, last week there were some of you that were less interested in looking at the painting and more interested in what I had to say. And though 
I totally understand that. The reality is, is that we need you to look at this painting here because uh, it's going to help us bounce into the truth of God's Word here. And as you're going to see, this painting is rich with some imagery that's going to teach us about youth or teenage years. So pull out your own copy, look up here on the screen. And as you look up here, once again, I want you to listen to Cole's own words describing what he's getting, what he's getting at in this painting. He says the scenery of this picture, its clear stream, its lofty trees, its towering mountains, its unbounded distance and transparent atmosphere figure forth the romantic beauty of youthful imaginations when the mind magnifies the mean and the common into the magnificent. And so pause right there and notice first that unlike last week, when we looked at the childhood scene and we saw this boat with the baby in it coming out of the mountain and it was all kind of confined and beautiful, that all of a sudden in this picture here, you got the same boat, now the kid's a teenager, and it's all opened up into this expansive world, right? Complete with paths to explore and rivers to go down and mountains to be climbed and conquered. I mean, there's a whole world now that has appeared just for the taking. And now it's a vast landscape that Cole is showing us here. And then notice that what Cole goes on to say further. He says, The gorgeous cloud-built palace, whose most glorious domes seem yet but half revealed to the eye, growing more and more lofty as we gaze, is emblematic of the daydreams of youth, its aspirations after glory and fame. And so I like this. The only thing in this picture that's not real to the youth's eye here is that, that dome, that castle there, that obviously is what this kid's dreaming about, right? It's symbolizing the daydreams, the aspirations, the dreams of youth. And though some of us would call it pie in the sky, even unrealistic in nature, it's nonetheless what this kid is shooting for. And then as if all of this were not enough, focusing more particularly on the boat and the voyager, I've kind of given you a close-up here on my screen, listen to what Cole says. He says, he, the youth, is now alone in the boat and takes the helm himself. And in an attitude of confidence and eager expectation, gazes on a cloudy pile of architecture, an air-built castle that rises dome above dome in the far-off blue sky. And so this boy is now becoming a man, right? And he takes the rudder, kicks the guardian angel out of the boat, puts one hand up high and looks to the bright future and sets out on his journey. And when I first saw that, I thought, well, at least we know that teenagers were the same 160 years ago, right? I mean, it's the same. And notice what great shape this boat is in. I mean, gone are all those little flowers that kind of signify a nursery that we saw in the last picture. And now you got this rugged, beautiful, pristine boat ready for the journey ahead, prepared for exploration and conquering. And so add all this up, folks. You got the vast landscape ready to be explored, the castle in the clouds ready to be built, the well-made boat, the youth who's already taking matters into his own hands, and isn't this exactly the picture that most of us have of youth that we can remember from our childhood? I mean, boundless imaginations and limitless dreams. The whole world before you, nothing to hold you back, no dream too big, no desire too small, chafing at the bit, to be set free to conquer and succeed many times in a direction that adults see as utterly unrealistic like sky-built castles and mountains that most people don't attempt to climb. It's youth on the verge of adulthood with idealism and absolutism as the fuel driving it along. And though there are some, if not many of us, who are quick to dismiss this 
as kind of head-in-the-clouds thinking, impetuous, non-realistic, even rebellious in nature. Before you go too far with that kind of judgment, realize this, and that is that the Bible, and I mean the Bible you read and the Bible that I read, encourages this season of youth complete with its head-in-the-clouds imagination and full-blown idealism that rides tandem with it. It does. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want you to open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 9. Ecclesiastes is about halfway through the Old Testament. Chapter 11 is toward the end of the book. I'm guessing you did not have your quiet time in Ecclesiastes 11 this week, and yet it is just as much God's Word as something like the Gospel of John. And this is going to speak very directly to our point here this morning. So Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, listen to what it says. It says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Now get this. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Now, let's wrestle with this. Some of us more seasoned adults very quickly knee-jerk to the end of that passage, don't we? And we say something like this. Yeah, well, God's going to hold you to judgment for all the things that you do, right? And that's kind of our mantra. And yet the reality is, is that before that, there comes a couple of phrases that we might not want to skip over too quickly and focus on. It says, follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. That's what God says to youth. I mean, some of us would be scared to death to say that to our teenagers, wouldn't we? And for good reason. I mean, in our eyes, they can't get their hair right. In our eyes, they wear clothes that about 30 years ago we would have given to the Salvation Army and yet they pay a hundred bucks for a pair of jeans like that, right? I mean, these kids get tickets more often than most other adults. They break curfew at time. They make unwise decisions when it comes to things like sex and drinking and language use and even who to hang around with. And so we think, why in the world will we ever say that they should do something like follow the impulses of their heart and the desires of their eyes? And yet, nonetheless, that's exactly what God says. God says that there's something hardwired into youth, something that he has put there that thrives on the oxygen of the air of far-out idealism and stubborn absolutism. It's boundless imagination and limitless dreams. And those we're going to see in a minute, of course this needs to be tempered with things like, by things like wisdom and sanity and a healthy dose of realism. Listen, we do great damage to our teens and even our relationship with them by not first pausing and recognizing and honoring this wonderful and life-giving positive nature that God has given teenagers to have and exhibit. And you don't want to take this away from them. You don't want to dash the dreams, the energy, the vitality that he has given to them, just hardwired into them. Uh, Gary Wills is a professor emeritus at Northwestern University. He's a Greek scholar, a New York Times best-selling author on his books on Christianity. And a few years back, he came out with a thoughtful little book called What Jesus Meant, which is a, designed to get people to take a closer look at the actions and, and words of Jesus. And early on in this book, it's interesting, as he's talking about the youthful years of Jesus' life, he points out that of the very sparse accounts that we have, we notice that Jesus ditched his parents at the age 12 to spend time in the temple. And then as a young man, when his mother asked him to do something about lack of wine at a wedding, he says, woman, what do I have to do with you? 
And then a little later, when he's healing and preaching, he's told his family is seeking access to him because they thought he'd gone over the edge. And he says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? The person who does what God's will is, is my brother and sister and mother. And so based on these very sparse and few accounts of Jesus' early life, listen to what Gary Wills says. This is instructive for us today. He says, Christian leaders have often rebuked the rebelliousness of young people by offering them a pastel picture of the young Jesus as a model of compliance and good behavior. They make this mystifying child an exemplar of family values in the most restricting and conformist sense. He says, but there are many indications that Jesus is more like those restive and resisting children who have all the idealism and absolutism of youth. Young people who chafe against the boundaries of the past and are panting to explore new horizons. We are told that his brothers and sisters later considered him mad. It was a view they probably formed from their earliest experiences with him. I love it, folks. I love what he's getting at there. I mean, it's hard to argue that Jesus wasn't idealistic and a bit nonconformist. I mean, I think we'd all agree that setting out to die on a cross for the sins of humankind and to save people eternally is a pretty lofty goal. And yet his family thought he was nuts for this especially in the youthful days when all of this was a very, very far-off thing. Here's what I think as a parent of three teenagers. I think that youth is designed to be a season of life in which, in part, there is a nature bent on dreaming big dreams, ones that, for those of us who are more seasoned, tend to raise an eyebrow at, and yet they're the dreams of youth nonetheless. And I would argue that these dreams and imaginations of youth are desperately needed. They're needed at the very least to carry them into adulthood. And as we're going to see in a minute here, when the rough waters hit, this overly idealistic energy that youth have are one of the few things that's going to keep them going and getting them through reality as it begins to set in. And the last thing we want to do is douse it. Add wisdom to it, we'll see in a minute, but certainly not douse it. One of the reasons that I feel kind of passionate about this is because, you know, 25 years ago, I was in this category of being a youth, and I could relate very much to this idealism and absolutism that many teenagers and youth tend to have. I was rebellious before I came to Christ, and then after I came to Christ, I was still just very, very strong-willed and idealistic about my view of life, and quite frankly, at times, very judgmental and stubborn. I'll never forget the summer of 1987. I was just entering seminary, and uh, my home church, Fellowship Bible Church, that I eventually, 20 years later, would become the senior pastor of, uh, asked me if I'd intern that summer there. And the founding senior pastor, Ludd, took me under his wing, and I spent three months working at the church there, and he was kind of showing me the pastoral ropes. And I'll never forget one meeting we had, which kind of was, was an ecumenical meeting with a bunch of other ministers in town, in which Ludd was leading it uh, through a sharing time, helping them just discover what's going on in their lives, and and it was like one of those Eeyore sessions. I mean, it was such a downer. I, as the pastors went around, the first guy said, well, you know, I'm kind of dry in my spiritual life right now, and things are, you know, just kind of dull, and, you know, I need a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit. And then the next guy went around, and he said, you know, I've been experiencing some health problems in my life, and, you know, I could really use a, a healing from the Lord because it's really slowing me down in my ministry, and just sort of went like that all around the circle. And I can still remember this day about ready to come out of my skin. I mean, I was thinking to myself, dry? 
dry, fresh wind. Have you read Acts 2, the book of Pentecost? The Spirit's already been given. Get off your butt and do something, pal. That's what I was thinking. And, and, then, and then it got to the next guy, and I'm thinking, healing, healing. Have you read 2 Corinthians 12? I mean, come on, Paul didn't always get his healing, but, but God's strength was made perfect in his weakness. You're weakling, get up and find his strength. That's what I was thinking. And yet I didn't say any of that because I had learned up to that point that nobody wanted to hear my opinions at that time, and probably rightly so. But when we got back in the car, I unloaded on Lud. And I said, what's wrong with these guys? I mean, don't they know that a resurrection has occurred and that his name was Jesus and that we're supposed to be on fire for our faith and yada, yada. And I'll never forget what Lud did. He just smiled and he looked at me and he said, oh, Jamie. He said, I love the zeal that God has given you. And I'm going to pray he gives you compassion in the years to come. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And I think he's still praying. But anyways... Um, <laughs> But, but, but I love what Lud was doing there. In other words, he recognized a young guy who, who coming off of a lot of sin, but now very excited about the Lord, had a passion that quite frankly was rude and that was judgmental and that was a bit uh, idealistic and obviously not very compassionate. And yet he recognized that if he doused that passion too much, I mean, if he was just throw water on it and put it out as many people would try to do, that he, he ran a risk of doing what? of putting out the fire completely. And so his goal, and we're going to see how you do this in a minute, was to, to add wisdom to it, to try to stoke the fires, but, but then also realize that over time it's going to get tempered and to pray that God would give me that compassion. And so I ask you, what do you do with this season of life with the teenagers that you have around you? I, I was sitting in my home office this week thinking about that. I thought of a young gal who graduated from college a couple of years ago and her dad came up to me when I was in Cleveland. He said, you know, I spent six figures on this education for her. She's got a degree in business, really sharp kid. And she just announced to me that she's going to join the Peace Corps for two years. And, and he said, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to say to my fellow businessmen down in Cleveland. And then with a tear in his eye, he said, but, but I'm so proud of her. She wants to serve the poor. I mean, who wants to stop her from doing that? I, I thought of another young man who's now graduating college. And he told his parents he's going to go to Nashville to become a recording artist. His dad said to me, I think that's where they coined the phrase starving artist. You know, I mean, the chances of getting a recording contract in Nashville, well, we know from American Idol, it's like one in 100,000, right? And yet his dad said to me, who, who wants to stop him? He loves God. He loves music. Let him go. Let him try to make something of his life. I, I thought of a young man who's now in his fourth year of college at American University in Washington, D.C., and he wants to go into politics. He told me he wants to become a bureaucrat. I thought to myself, you're proud of that? Like, you know, most people don't boast about something like that. And yet this is a young African-American kid who is so sharp, so smart. And when he told me that, I thought, I'm just going to spur him on. I'm not going to tell him that the chances of him becoming a congressman are like one in a million. Why would you say something like that to him? It's the dreams and aspirations of youth. And we do good to honor them and not temper them too much with our seasoned approach of life to life. And folks, I know what some of you are thinking. Because you think like me. You're thinking, but Jamie, you don't get it. My kids' interests and dreams aren't in missions or music or the poor or politics or anything that altruistic. I mean, I wish my kid had dreams like that. No, my kids' grandiose dreams in life are kind of thinking that somebody's going to hand them something on a silver platter. That somebody's going to give them that dome and that picture there, that, that air-built castle, and just hand it to them. So what do I do with that? 
And really what we're dealing with is kind of three scenarios that our youth present to us that all present some problems when they start to dream. You ready for these? We've got our youth that kind of undershoot their aspirations, right? So you say to a 17-year-old, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? And they go, I'm going to be a video game tester or something like that, right? And you go, I think God might have something more for you than that, right? And then you got the youth that overshoot their aspirations. You know, I want to colonize Mars or something like that. And you say, well, that might be a lofty goal for you, you know? And, and then, probably the most difficult, are the youth that have dreams and aspirations that just might not fit the paradigm that we had for them, right? Maybe we wanted them to join the family business or become a doctor, and, and they want to do something that's not sinful or wrong. We just wonder if that's best for them, if that's exactly what God might have for them. And so what do we do with the dreams and aspirations of our youth when we see them as too far out for earthly good or the ones that we are pretty sure might not provide them the satisfaction materially and immaterially that we know and need that they're looking for? How do we respond to that? And to answer this, I want to share with you a couple of things that Cole is getting at here in his second painting that's also confirmed by a biblical worldview. And I think these just might help. And so here's the first thing. It's point two on your outline. You're going to like this. And that is that realism and reality will someday sit in for our youth and experience alone is going to bring this to their lives. In other words, one of the reasons I said we don't want to douse their, their dreams and aspirations is because, tell me if this isn't true, you and I live in a fallen world. We know, and we're going to talk about this next week, what, what life can deal with to you as you get older. And trust me, it's going to happen for our youth, and experience is eventually going to, going to dictate a level of reality to them that's going to bring them down a notch. And so looking back at Cole's second painting here, I want to show you something that's not obvious at first glance. At least I didn't see it when I first saw the painting until I read his description but I'm telling you, it's the most profound thing you're going to see probably in this whole series in Cole's paintings here. Uh, listen to his description of it, and then I'll explain it. He says, The beautiful stream flows directly toward the aerial palace in a dimly seen path. But at length, the stream makes a sudden turn and is seen in glimpses beneath the trees until at last descends with a rapid current into a rocky ravine where the voyager will be found in the next picture. So latch on to what's happening there. It might be hard to see in your copy there. I mean, in the original National Gallery, they're about three by five. These paintings are pretty big, and you can see a lot of the detail. But if you look up here on, on my screen there, to your left, you'll notice that I gave you a blow up there that the, the river goes down, and it looks like the youth is going to get out of the boat and go take that path that leads to the mountain and to that castle that he's dreaming about. And the only problem is, is that we learned last week from Cole's descriptions here that nobody gets out of the boat, nobody gets off the river. P part of his paradigm of this whole picture here is that the river is God's sovereignty, God's providence in life, and it's just going to take you where it will. And though you might control the rudder, you're staying in the boat. So that you thinks he's going to get off the boat, but he's not. That's not what reality will dictate. So you'll notice there in my, you're right there, that all of a sudden the turn the river turns sharply to the right, and we see in the upper right hand of the picture the river then going down into a ravine where things are going to get very rough and very rocky. In other words, what Cole is trying to communicate is that though painful, as youth move into adulthood, reality is going to set in. And just living in a fallen world and continuing the voyage is going to reveal this to them. And folks, the scriptures like time and time again, confirm this to us. 
In fact, let me show you something very interesting. You know that passage we just read in Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9, that, you know, desires are your heart thing and limitless dreams and all that? I want to read for you the very next sentence. It switches chapters to chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, and you tell me what it's telling us. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth, now get this, before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Wow. So like in 11 verse 9, it's talking about follow, you know, following the impulses and desires of your heart. And all of a sudden, in the very next sentence, it's saying, but by the way, you're not going to have any delight in them at some times in your life when those evil days set in. And we all know this. I mean, tough times set in when you live life long enough. The economy is going to go south at times. Marriage will get hard. Parenting will present problems. Friends will come and go. Faith in God will be a battle. And these things, by their very nature, please see, temper and bring reality to one's dreams. Amen? We hope they don't dash them. But the reality is, is that life is difficult. Even in places like Scottsdale or where I come from, Chagrin Falls, which tend to try to whitewash the problems of life, you can't get away from them. You can't. Jesus told us in John 16, verse 33, I love this passage. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you have tribulation. It's fascinating. That's a present tense indicative verb there, meaning that Jesus is saying it's going to happen to you, if not already. He's not saying in the past you used to have tribulation or in the future you're going to have it or even now you might have it if, if you don't watch yourself very carefully. No, he's saying you are going to experience tribulation in this world. And so point being is that in answer to our questions about youth who undershoot, overshoot, or wrongly shoot their imaginations and dreams is that the voyage itself, as time goes by, will make known to them a certain level of reality and this reality will shape, alter, and modify their dreams. It will. I remember a funny, funny story that happened to me when I was in college. Again, in one of my idealistic times uh, to get through school spending money, I worked in the uh, meal, the, the cafeteria, to, to earn spending money for about three, four years in college. And, uh, and, and it was a great experience for me working back there in the kitchen. And, and many of the people that were employed in the kitchen were townsfolks from this little small town in Michigan where I was going to college. And I'll never forget this one lady. She was just one of those crabby, angry, bitter ladies that many of us have run into over the years that, quite frankly, didn't want anything to do with God. I mean, she was just very self-sufficient, but very angry and kind of crabby. And so I tried to befriend her. And at first, it was kind of rebuff, but over time, she kind of took a liking in me. And again, back then, I was super vocal everywhere I went, as if I'm not now, about my faith. And, uh, and so she knew that I was a Christian, and I shared my faith with her, and she didn't want anything to do with it. And, and I'll never forget one day, she came in, and she was in an extra foul mood. And so I was kind of probing as to why, and she said, well, you're not going to believe it. My son went to one of those revival services over the weekend, and he became a Christian. And I'm thinking, is that not cool or what, you know? And... And then she said something I'll never forget. She said, and he announced this morning that he's going to quit his job and go preach on the streets. And he hadn't been a Christian but two days. And she goes, he's got a wife and two kids. And I said, wow, that's kind of a, a radical, drastic thing to do. This kid was pretty young, but even for being young, that was radical. And, and I said, well, well what, what happened next? And she said, well, I said, how are you going to provide for your family? And, and, she, and he said, well, God will provide for my family. And she looked at me and she said, and I looked at him and told him, well, just remember, I'm not God. 
<laughs> Isn't that great? Oh, I can't wait to say that to my children. I really can't, you know? Just remember, I'm not God. My, I have no idea what happened to that kid, you know? I, I journeyed with her a little bit long in the journey, but, you know, we're all in God's hands. And, and yet I've thought over the years, and, and this is just a guess, but we all know it's probably true, is that I'll bet you Captain Reality set in for that guy, right? And I'll bet you God provided. I mean, God provides in wonderful ways, but God might have provided by saying, get a job, you know, and go to seminary and, and then go into the ministry. I mean, who knows whatever way. But the reality is, is we all know tough times are going to hit for our youth. Now, that's the first thing that will temper the teenage years into mature adulthood. But there's another thing that the scriptures share and that Cole's painting hints at, but it's also a critical component for the dreams and aspirations of youth, and, and it's going to involve you and I in significant ways. You ready for this? Point three, and that is that wisdom and guidance are needed during youth to keep dreams alive and yet balanced with this burgeoning, troublesome reality. And, and so check this out, folks. Along with the dreams and hopes of youth, boundless and limitless as they are, wisdom and guidance are the two tools that they need from parents, pastors, teachers, mentors, and obviously God himself and his word. And yet don't miss that they are tools that have a dual purposeful goal, and that is to keep their dreams alive and yet also to balance them with realities that unfold. And I would submit to you that every youth needs, needs guidance in this way. Look with me at what Ecclesiastes would say earlier. Again, Ecclesiastes is a very down-to-earth, reality-based book. And look at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. It says, A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. That's poignant. It's basically saying that a wise chaparral or horizon high school student is better than an older foolish CEO, though successful, who doesn't listen to anybody anymore. And it all boils down to the issue of being able to hear and heed wise counsel. Again, a wise lad who receives instruction. This is the womb from with youthful dreams and maturity is birth, wisdom that guides and directs. And all I can tell you, folks, parents, as one who is there right now, is that you have to be real smart with teens on how you give it. Amen? In other words, teens don't want to be told what to do. And so part of relating to teenagers is just to be, as Jesus says, crafty as a fox and as innocent as a dove in how you give it. I'll never forget one of the first ways my dad did this when I was entering into that rebellious, idealistic stage. I was a senior in high school and, and pretty uh, just, you know, doing my own thing. And my dad for years had been saving for college, as many of us have now. And, and he and my mom were, were very determined that I was going to go to college. And I was too up until I saw a commercial for the Army. And so I called the Army recruiter and, and was interested in that. And I came home one day before dinner from track practice and I said to my mom, I was in the kitchen and my dad was reading the paper, I said, I've called the Army and I think I'm going to join the Army. And my mom almost dropped the pan and she looked up at my dad and said, Frank. And my dad put his paper down. And to this day, I'll never forget, my dad, without even blinking, just looked at me and with a calm voice, he said, Jamie. He said, you don't like it when your mother and I tell you what to do, <laughs> let alone with every captain and sergeant and general in the army telling you what to do. And I remember standing there in my track uniform going, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I thought, I don't want to join the army. I'd rather go to college. 
And sure enough, that's what I did. Now, joining the Army is certainly not a bad thing at all. It's just that my parents knew how to kind of nudge me in the direction that they thought was best for me. Amen? And yet, what would have happened if my dad would have said, you're not joining the Army. Your mom and I have been saving for years, and you're going to college. I probably would have just, well, rebelled, as many teenagers tend to do. And so sometimes we need to be wise in how we give wisdom to our kids. Listen to how James chapter 1, verse 5 says it. I love this passage. It's actually been a theme verse for our elders in my first year and a half here. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so we know that God has promised anyone who asks him with an open and humble and willing heart that's willing to listen to him, that he'll give wisdom. I think Cole was hinting at this divine wisdom in this painting here. Uh, if you look up here on the screen, let me show you a close-up of the angel, uh, the guardian spirit there, and uh, listen to Cole's description. He says, The guardian spirit stands upon the bank of the stream with a serious yet benignant countenance, seems to be bidding the impetuous voyager Godspeed. I, I, I like how he says there is serious yet benignant countenance Godspeed. So it's like a concern, yet, yet favorable for the journey before him. Do, do, do you get kind of the balance there? It's like the angel is saying, chase after those dream, dreams, kid. But you might want to be careful of that path up there. The, the stream of providence probably isn't going to allow you to take it. And when the rough waters hit, don't worry. God is still with you. He's still going to watch over you. When you cry out to him, he's going to be there for you. And isn't that, the folks, isn't that the point, folks? Is it precisely the response that I think our youth need from parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and mentors and friends is the kind that encourages them to pursue the dreams and desires that God has hardwired into them, what John Trent and Gary Smalley call the blessing, but combined as well with a healthy dose of godly wisdom, the kind that cares more about their welfare than even our agenda. Mark my words, they need that from us. And in the end, in case you wonder, what our teenagers need more than anything from us in the wisdom we give is not just a wisdom on whether to go to college or not, or what life mate to choose, or what vocational choice to go into, or what things to avoid or not avoid, though they need all of that. Let me give you a clue about what our kids need more than anything else from us. And it's my fourth point here this morning, and that is that they need faith in God during their youth because it'll keep them grounded and can prevent ultimate disillusionment. Think about it, folks. Uh, the greatest gift that you can give your child really is the gift of faith. It is. As a teenager goes into adulthood, part of the plan God has is that they unhitch their wagon from you, but if they unhitch their wagon from you, they have to hitch it to someone or something else, right? And we all know that we live in a world that offers plenty of places to hitch our wagon. And many of them are not good places. And even some of the good places really aren't going to take them into the long haul, right? And if they hitch their wagon ultimately to another human being who's going to let them down, that's going to create some disillusionment. If they hitch their wagon to a vocational choice that, as we've seen in our economy right now, might not carry them the distance, that's going to create some disillusionment. If they hitch their wagon to culture and society that they think is going to give them the new deal or the new dream, that's ultimately going to let them down. I mean, think about this with me. The reality is 
is that the only thing they can really hitch their wagon to that won't let them down is God. And God in the form of Jesus, by the way. Because God came to us in Jesus Christ. He is the Logos of God. He is God of gods. He is God incarnate. He's the one who's redeemed us from our sins. And so it's not just faith in some general nebulous God. It's faith in God as he, as he has revealed himself in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's powerful and profound, the gift that you can give your kids by continually focusing them on the God who made them and loves them and redeemed them in Jesus Christ. One last verse to look at. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 9. It says, The mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. It's one of my all-time favorite verses. The mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord determines his steps. That is a great verse for teenagers. It really is. Because teenagers are at a time in their life where in their mind, they're planning their ways. What you can remind them of is that God is ultimately going to be the one to determine their steps. And so they might as well trust him now. Joe wasn't kidding when he said, remember your creator in the days of your youth. How many of us as adults have just wasted years in which now we're finally coming back to Christ and we wish we had done that when we were young. We can help our youth to do that by not freaking out when they have their dreams and aspirations, but giving them some wisdom, realizing that, that eventually reality is going to set in. And as we win them over by not freaking out, they're going to listen to us when we say, oh, and by the way, trust in God. Trust in the one who made you and loves you. Trust in his son, Jesus Christ. Learn to live by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will take you so far. I don't know about you guys, but we had the youth, uh, many of them singing up here today, and nothing does my heart better than when I see a youth worshiping God like this as they lead us in worship. Amen? I mean, some of you are so emotionally stunted, you couldn't raise your hands in worship if Jesus was physically here today, right? <laughs> and I love you, I do, and I accept you, and you're going to go to the grave like this, and that's fine. Maybe in your heart of hearts you're worshiping God, and that's cool. He receives that, so I'm not saying that physical expression or emotional expression is everything, but there's just something that does it for me when our youth who are so full of energy just worship like this. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to go to the communion table in just a minute. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to consider um, using our communion time, our Lord's Supper, where we hand out the elements and end our, our worship time in a, in a very focused way on Jesus, to consider praying for the youth of our church. Maybe consider praying for some teenagers in your life. They might be your teenagers. That's what I did in the first service. They might be uh, some teenagers that are in your extended family. They might be some that you just know of in this church or in the community, maybe a next-door neighbor. But, but let's just use this time of worship to pray to God and to uh, focus on uh, maybe helping lift up our teens to Him as well. And then we're all going to partake together. So why don't you bow with me right now and let's pray. Father God, I thank you that once again your word just never lets us down. It's instructive, it's practical, certainly applies to what we're dealing with today. So God, I thank you as we looked at Ecclesiastes and matched that to some of Thomas Cole's uh, communication through this painting of his, that God, we've learned some significant things about this thing called youth or the teenage years. God, I pray that we'd be the kind of church that would champion the dreams and aspirations of youth. I pray we'd be the kind of church that could temper them with wisdom. I pray we'd be the kind of church that when the rough waters hit, we're there to help lift up and to encourage. And I pray, Lord, we'd be the kind of church more than anything else that will certainly point our students uh, to Jesus Christ each moment of each day. 
And so, God, I pray as we go into this communion time right now that uh, you would receive this act of worship, that, uh, Father, you might be pleased with this, that you'd hear our prayers as we come to you through Jesus Christ. And he is our Savior, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.